Hello and welcome to the Danjo Film Show, Oscar special 2021. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're well and staying safe wherever you are. And as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime. If he were to win an Oscar, it'd be for best looks, of course. Please welcome Joe Richards. <laughs> you choose that on the day when my camera doesn't work. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's why. <laughs> that's quite fitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the day where you can't actually see me, you decide I've got the best looks. But that is very, very nice of you, Dan. You'd get the Oscar for best... Best lying, maybe? <laughs> best lying, yeah, maybe. Um, best banter. Yeah, best thank you so fl- much. Best flirtatious banter, I guess. Thank me. you, Joe. We do, we have flirted quite a bit over the years, haven't we? We have. I mean, we have, we have had people phone in, message in, be like, something going on between the two of you? No, unfortunately not. He's not unfortunately my type. Unfortunately not, no. <laughs> <we are>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how are you, Joe? Are you excited for uh, our Oscar special? This is our second one we've done. So yeah. we had uh, our first one last year, right before kind of all the pandemic kicked off. We were in our luxurious studio. A bit different this year, but I'm still very much excited because you've got a very, very exciting panel. So uh, are you excited? I am very excited. It's sort of the annual Olympics of cinema, really, isn't it? It's the Olympics of cinema, the Oscars. I just love the build up to it. I just love seeking out every film, trying to watch every Best Picture nominee before the actual awards happens, which has been especially difficult this year, all things considered. But yeah, it, it, it is just the highlight of the calendar for, for cinema, in, and especially over the last year where, where things have been tough for cinema, cinemas and film in general. I'm especially looking forward to talking about this year, and I think we've got a good list of films to talk about as well. What about you? Are you excited? I'm super excited. It's been hard this year trying to kind of catch all of them because normally if this were a normal year, they'd all be at the cinema. We might do a double bill here, a double bill there. Um, But obviously a lot of this year's nominations have been through streaming. So I've kind of been kind of trying to make time to watch all of them. Um, But how have you found that this year, Joe, doing it all through streaming? Is Is it kind of tinted it for you or has it been just as good? It has tinted it a little bit because I just don't think you can beat that cinematic experience. And I think sharing it with a group of people as well so like one of the films we're going to be talking about later on is the father and i would have loved to have seen that with a group of people just to see count how many people were in floods of tears um as as i was leaving the cinema so i think especially with with oscars we've seen it in years before where films have been re-released due to oscar buzz i remember specifically the hurt locker i think had a re-release um after after winning at the oscars and it does draw people into cinema so i think it has been difficult missing out on that experience this year but it's been fine and and there've been some great cinemas independent cinemas who've you know made a lot of these films available online so you get that cinematic experience i did one for the father where people could live chat through it um so you know pe- cinemas have been inventive to kind of do an experience anyway, but it has, you know, has been tough not having that in-person experience, I think. Absolutely, I agree with you there. I think it's not been the same. Uh, but fingers crossed, it's going to be just as good this year, and we're all super excited for it. Shall we introduce our Oscar panel for this episode, Joe? We better had. We better had. And just to also point out, if you do want to get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at DJ Film Show. If you want to let us know um, what kind of uh, nominations you're hoping to win this year, um, if you want to let us know how you're celebrating the Oscar night, are you going to get dressed up? Are you going to hang around with socially distanced friends? Let, let us know. Tweet us at DJ Film Show. But let's get on to the Oscar panel now. And our first guest is somebody we've wanted on the show for a very, very long time. We just absolutely love her passion for film. Please welcome to the show Claire Vaughan. She's a cinema uh, programmer for Chapter Art Centre. Hello, Claire. 
Am I? Yeah. Uh, hello. Um, yeah, very happy to be here. This is going to be a good chat, I think. So thank you, Claire, for coming on. Obviously, we talked about Oscars this year. How do you normally celebrate the Oscars every year? Do you know, obviously, if we if COVID wasn't happening, would you meet up with friends? Would you have kind of an Oscars theme night? Well, you know, obviously they're, they're shown in the middle of the night. And so I must admit, I used to have a little Oscar party. But then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be an old lady now. And so, so <laughs> yeah, I, a couple of years ago, I did start stop doing it. But then I kind of wake up at like six in the morning and then like, you know, look at all the, you know, all the speeches and stuff like that. sort of you know, so that that's that's unfortunately that's that's what my uh, Oscar journey has been like in the last couple of years. As a teenager, I used to try and find somebody that was that had Sky. I think it was on Sky then and like stay up all night and watch the Oscars. And uh, and I lived in America for a bit and, and that was my proper Oscar party time. I was like, I can watch it. It's like the day. <laughs> it's like during <laughs> the day. This is great. But it's, it's a funny old time because it's like, you know, we you know everybody in britain's kind of like wakes up in the morning and they find out what's what's happened yeah it's it's really exciting evening for everybody that's the thing globally it's a really exciting evening so it is going to be a very uh, yeah we'll have to suck it and see see what it's like this year absolutely and we spoke a little bit about how much we miss cinema mm. you are the cinema program manager at chapter arts center a place close to our hearts we absolutely adore going there when we can obviously this last year has been really really hard for chapter so how's the last year been and for those who don't know about chapter arts center can you tell us a little bit about what it is well uh, chapter we're a um, sort of a multi-platform arts center so this we do lots of different things is basically what that means uh, so we've got sort of a gallery and theatres and, uh, and, you know, the cinemas. We've got a big social space as well. So it's um, it's really it's a lovely space to be because you just like I end up just having chats with the audience all the time, you know, after seeing films. And and even if I, I can't go in to like, you know, obviously I'd like to be in every single screening. But yeah, I am often kind of like, like waiting outside the cinema. I'm like, oh, what, what do they think of that? And sort of like, you know, trying to trying to just, you know, test the waters with people, see what they think of what I put on. But um yeah, this last year obviously has been a bit weird. Uh, we were open from from like early March. We were open for four weeks, um, so it was kind of like a bit of a week in October, and then sort of three weeks in November, and that was it. Virtual cinema kind of popped up. So I was working with um, sort of other colleagues. There was a really supportive, lovely WhatsApp group with other cinema programmers around the UK. The sort of independent community has come together really well. I've been like trying to find ways for our audience to see films, been doing lots of watch alongs. So it's it's a really odd thing that obviously we've been closed for all this time, but I've been really busy. <laughs> you know, Good. a lot of us have been really, really busy trying to like, because this is what we do. You know, if, if this is, you know, we really, we love film and we just want to keep talking to people about film. So we're a little bit obsessive and, and that's who we are as film people. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way. Global pandemic be damned. Film community yeah. is going to come through. Absolutely. Thank you, Claire, for joining us. We look forward to chatting to you a bit later. Make yourself comfortable, have a drink. Um, and uh, thank you very much again. Now to introduce our second guest on our Oscar panel. He needs no introduction, actually. He's been on uh, many episodes before. He's our Welsh wonder. You can catch him on BBC Radio Wales every Friday with Larry Sean. And he makes me laugh, honestly. I'm, I find because I'm not driving at the, at the same time because I'd be off the road because I laugh so much. Um, <laughs> And he's hugely knowledgeable. Please welcome again to the show, Gary Slaymaker. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you for being with us again. And like, like you know, like I said to Claire, how's the last year been for you, Gary? Obviously, you do a show with Larry Sean every Friday. Yes. We have been able to go to the cinema a couple of months ago and, and some points during last year. But a lot of the time you've been doing streaming films, haven't you? Well, it was the, the decision as soon as the first lockdown hit and we and all the cinemas closed down. It was panic stations for me, obviously. It's like, well, where do I go now? 
and we talked it through in that first week in Radio Wales and said, well, let's go to the streaming services then. Uh, so we've been, I've been lucky. I haven't lost a, a Friday's work since that pandemic because there's been Amazon Prime, there's been Netflix, there's been my godsend, Shudder. Um, which, which is which is the horror soon. I mean, the first well, when someone told me, oh, do you, do you know you can get Shudder for a month's free uh, trial, and no one saw me for two weeks. <laughs> I, I, I had the I had the phone on mute, and I was just watching film after film, and then uh, Joe Bob Briggs is um, driving movie documentary stuff because I was a huge Joe Bob fan. In fact, I think he's my main inspiration for reviewing. So yeah, we got through it like that, and then of course then uh, the cinemas opened up for a while. And I, I went in to see Tenet, which was the the big one that was meant to save us, and came out scratching my head, thinking, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> uh, I, 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 I really, and a mate of mine had turned up for the same screening, and we went for a, for a pint together. And the pair of us just went, "Well, that's two and three quarters, and two and three quarter hours of our lives we'll never get back." And I'm a massive Christopher Nolan fan. You're kind of thinking, "Okay, when when this?" Because you can see, sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel this time round. And you're just thinking, we we really do need a big film that's going to really bring in the punters. And you can see them starting to line up now. Uh, all of a sudden, we're getting the release dates and stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I've been working more doing film stuff, uh, uh, filming with TV companies in the past month. So that's another sign that things seem to be normalising, which is great. So, And last year was freaky in not having a single Marvel movie to watch. I, you know, th- thank God for one division, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. But to have a whole year without a single uh, Marvel movie, it was proper cold turkey, as far as I was concerned. Definitely, I, I had a fever. I mean, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> um, yeah, that's brilliant. I, again, that's you know, the power of cinema, isn't it? That you know, no matter where you go, different platforms. Um, and I, like I just said to Claire, there, how, how do you normally celebrate the Oscars every year, Gary? Do you kind of invite friends over, or is it more just kind of you getting drunk on the couch? I mean, uh, I, I I go to bed and then get up in the morning and get the results. <laughs> now, when it was on the BBC, yeah. of course, I'd stay up until three, four, and, and then it went to Sky, and I I wouldn't cross the road to pee on Rupert Murdoch if he was on fire. <laughs> So there's no way he's getting a single penny off me, so I can watch the Oscars. So it, it's a it's it's a personal and political choice at the same time not to give that man any cash. The, the nice thing is obviously you, you can, there are Twitter accounts that start dropping the results, but it just seem it just doesn't seem right watching a little scribbled note saying and the winner of best uh, uh, you know, supporting actor is just popping up on your phone. No, I, I'll get up in the morning and I'll watch it all. Uh, yeah, watch catch catch every result and watch as many highlights as they've got absolutely well thank you so much for joining us we look forward to chatting to you later gary uh, and finally let's introduce our last guest to our oscars panel uh, she's a film critic for cine chat online uh, she does lots of things very very busy she also has a podcast which i personally absolutely love it's called w rated where she reviews the worst rated films of all time um thank you for your service can i say um and it must be nice for her to actually join us for the best films of the year uh, so please welcome to the, to the show claire brunton hi claire Hello. Good to see you. Thank you. Is it nice to actually be talking about the Academy and kind of quality movies rather than bad ones? It's interesting um, because sometimes there's more to say about the bad ones. Sometimes it is easier to talk about the bad ones because one of the things we do at W Rated is we're not watching them to mock them. It's the 100 worst films on IMDb. So we're watching them to say, do they deserve to be on that list? How did they end up there? And, you know, 
could, could something in the production or the editing have got them off of that list? And so there's often like so much that you can go into. And sometimes when like, when you watch an Oscar bait film, it's like, okay, yep, yeah, I can see why people loved it. Maybe it did or didn't work for you. And you're like, it's a proficient film. So it's interesting <laughs> yeah. to be trying to talk about wonderful films because there's some that I have a lot to say about and then there's a few that I'm like, hmm, not, not sure what, what I have to say. But we have, I know that you guys did a Razzie's special. We've also got one that will be coming out um, next week. And there's a film that's both in the Razzie's and the Oscars. So that's double duty on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. You're ticking lots of boxes there, aren't you, Claire? Yeah. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> And um, obviously you've done a lot of homework. I've seen on social media, you've, you've really kind of um, watched a lot of the Oscar nominations. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, have you found that more difficult this year with it being on streaming? Or are you somebody like myself and Joe who does really miss going to the cinema and, and watching two or three in a row? Or how have you found it this year? I found it a mixed bag because I actually thought I had seen far more than I had. I think when the Oscar nominations came out, I was like, oh yeah, know that, know that, know that. But then when it came to coming on the episode and I actually went through the list, I was like, oh, there's so many I've missed. And they were actually the easier ones to find. I feel like it was almost a challenge. The ones that were difficult to find, I'd like hunted for. So I got The Father and I got Nomadland and I made sure I saw them. But the Netflix ones are kind of just being like, oh, they'll always be there. And I forgot to ever watch them. Whereas when it's a cinema, you're there opening weekend or opening week you're like must see it so I can get on the buzz but I feel like not just with Oscar films we've all found that film buzz doesn't last as long when it's on streaming so if you're not there the very first day you kind of forget about it. Yeah and, and a lot of these Netflix films came you know like Mank and Trial of Chicago 7 they came out end of last year November time October time and you're right sometimes you do forget about them especially because Netflix is a, is a stream platform that every week there's a new film and almost like the last week's film they've kind of said oh goodbye now we're on to the next one yeah so I totally get you with that definitely and likewise um, like I spoke to Gary and Claire about um, how do you normally celebrate the Oscars is it something you kind of get everyone around is it something that you kind of do you stay up late for it? No, and um, most of my friends don't like films, um, which oh. I think is why I became like an online film critic, because I'm like, <laughs> someone for the love of God, please talk to me about films. Um, so no, no one would watch the Oscars with me, even if I begged. But the last few years, I've accidentally ended up waking up in the middle of the night, just as like all the actors and best pictures are being nominated. So the, like, I remember Parasite win. I just happened to like wake up to go to the bathroom and get a drink and flick my phone. And I was like, oh, amazing. And was there for like, the moment it happened so clearly something internally wants me to be celebrating the Oscars even if my body clock you know I want to be in bed deep down I need to be awake <laughs> absolutely uh, thank you so much Claire for joining us um, and we look forward to chatting to all of our Oscar panel in just a little bit uh, but firstly let's move on now to this year's ceremony uh, which are taking place on Sunday April 25th early hours in the morning over here on the 26th here in the UK if you want to stay up late for that and this year a lot of changes have happened obviously because of the COVID pandemic some uh, have actually stayed the same so there's no host for this year for a third year in a row um, there's, there's no Zoom participation allowed and um, I know in the Golden Globes and the BAFTAs they, it was basically Zoom central wasn't it everyone was zooming um, but all nominees must attend in person and it's kind of there's some be some talk of how they're going to do that is it going to be outdoors inside and finally obviously it's been delayed so normally we'd be talking about the Oscars end of February but now we're talking at it you know end of April so um, Joe I'll start with you first um, and what can we expect from this year's ceremony considering all that? What we've got with this year's ceremony first and foremost is probably one of the most diverse ceremonies that, that we're going to have 
in a long time, you know, longest I can remember, um, which is great, which is positive, you know, because the Oscars have been shrouded in so much controversy over the past few years. You had Oscars are white. You've got the Me Too movement, which really kind of, I think, pushed things through, pushed, you know, the kind of change through. And last year, I think not only did the Oscars get a lot of flack, but obviously BAFTA um, had a lot of flack as well for a lot of films which I and performances, which I think they ignored you know I'm a big advocate for Queen and Slim it was one of my favorite films of last year and the fact that that got no nominations from either um, you know the Academy or BAFTA is just shocking so I think it's really exciting to see the nominees and and you know the diverse nominees that that, uh, that are up for awards I, I get why I think the Academy don't want any Zoom with the Academy and the Oscars comes a certain degree of glamour that you just don't necessarily get a BAFTA. I think you get it to a degree, but I think the Academy, you kind of watch it for the for the handsome Hollywood actors and you watch it for the suits and the dresses and things like that. So I can totally understand why they've kind of said, we don't want to do it all uh, on Zoom. So I think that's understandable. It's going to be interesting the way that they do it, but let's be honest, America doesn't really care as much about COVID as we do anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're, they're all sat there as, as usual, to be honest. But it's, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. The, the in-memoriam section could be even longer at the Oscars <laughs> next year. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. I, I, it, it's when they said, oh, yeah, you have to be there. to I thought, that's classic passive aggressive. If you want this gone, you better turn up. So well, <laughs> I love also, that. It's so unfair that it's the most diverse year ever most of the nominees aren't American or at least American based. So it's such like a, an F you to, yeah, we're going to nominate you, but you're not allowed to actually attend and celebrate it mm. unless you're in America. It's just so cruel. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the list of nominees, I think, is, um, is is obviously very interesting considered like what releases we've had this year. And I mean, we've you know, been talking about it a lot. It's like, oh, there's so many films by women have been released this year. It's amazing. It's like, yeah, they released them this year when cinemas were closed. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like they did, you know, a lot of the films by women, they didn't keep back to the special times when cinemas are going to be open. They released them like kind of, you know, almost kind of shunted them out, you know, yeah. when, oh, these, these are the less important ones. They'll put, I'm not necessarily saying that's, that's happened. I mean, certainly no Madland and things like films like that kind of feels like that would always been in the conversation, but, but yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's almost like we're slightly embarrassed that these are the nominations and, um, but yeah, I mean, I just want to see, uh, I, I want us to do a red carpet and seeing people get a letter of flow test. You know, <laughs> before they go in like, I had heard that they were maybe doing pods so there would be like a UK pod and an LA pod um, and thinking about like other award ceremonies I think the Emmys did it best and they did it accidentally best because Shit's Creek ended up being nominated in virtually every category and won every category it was nominated in and they because they were in Canada and it was one show they put up their own bubble and had all of their cast crew everyone there so that was wonderful every time they won an award you got to see that whole group together and that worked so well on screen that I can see why the Oscars want that camaraderie of people celebrating with each other but the outright no if you don't turn up you won't be in the show that's just too far that is a step too far yeah it yeah. sounds like the, the best big brother house doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the nominees for Britain all living together in a little 
little house waiting to see whether or not, you know, going to win. Day 93. <laughs> <laughs> Bad pick. There's Ahmed's going up the stairs. No, it will, be when, it will be the person that doesn't win going into the diary room oh, to yeah, be yeah. like, oh, I should have won. Because <laughs> what, what, what you really want, again, is that Samuel L. Jackson moment where, when he yeah. didn't win his best supporting. <laughs> it's just a straight down the couch. Shit, or whatever it was. Because <laughs> well, by the Davis, I think it was at the Golden Globe, she fell off her couch, didn't she? Yeah. She was there with her lovely husband and she went, she did a big like, oh, you know, like, you know, exclamation. But then you saw her kind of like slide off and then get back up really quickly. <laughs> you know, you don't get that by um, by making everybody sit carefully in, in yeah. you know, in the county seats. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you all. I think it is very strict being like, you know, with this whole travel policy, you know, you, you know, you must attend in person. Um, and I do think they've gotten better. The whole Zoom participation has got better. I think with the BAFTAs last weekend, it flowed very nicely. I mean, we were staring at a screen every two minutes of somebody, but I thought it, they did it better than the Golden Globes, which I found struggled a little bit more, um, especially because both hosts were in different time zones and different parts of the uh, of the country. But they're giving it a go, you know, they're giving it a go. And that's all that we can ask for, really, can't we, really? It's the one thing that BAFTA should have followed that the Oscars are doing is not have hosts, because Dermot O'Leary's jokes just didn't work. <laughs> and if you'd been playing a drinking game to go along with uh, every time Evie, Edith Bowman said brilliant, you'd have been, you'd have been <laughs> paralytic half an hour into that. The canned laughter was strange. Yes, the canned laughter that was and the, the reactions was very odd. It was like the first time I was like, oh, where's the audience then? Because like that wasn't funny. And it was like, oh, there's no audience. That's they've decided they'll put that in. And it's like, oh, this yeah. is, that feels very yeah. odd. And, and there were what... times where it sounded like people were booing. Like I was watching with my better half and she's like, people booing that win. It was just the canned laughter just didn't work at all yeah. for that. And, and, and apparently they recorded a real audience clapping, which is like, it didn't sound no. that way, did it? No. So it didn't no. sound real. It didn't sound real. It sounded like something from Friends, like sitcom, didn't it? Yeah. It was awful. Friends was also a live studio audience, though, so maybe that is just <laughs> what recorded live laughter sounds like. Yeah. How much are they paying? Because I need extra cash. I'm, I'm down for that. What I would love to see, the Flaming Lips were one of the first uh, rock groups to do uh, a concert during COVID, and they had all the gas in those um, inflatables, Zorbin inflatables. So, like, let's, let's do that. Let's get George. George Clooney in one of those, you know, <laughs> hosting an award and like rolling off stage. That'd be that'd be very cool. It's gonna be yeah, hell for the women in heels though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all, all the older sort of like the Hollywood classic Hollywood people they always have on, you know, like I think she's died unfortunately, but Lauren Bacall, like, you know, see absorbing right away, I think would be great. It also takes the fun out of the who are you wearing tonight bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, up, I know. <laughs> Um, so in terms of this year's nominations, obviously we're going to go into more depth later on, but are we happy with this year's nominations? Obviously, there are many things to appreciate about the diversity. We've got nine out of the 20 acting nominees are from ethnic minority backgrounds. Uh, two women uh, are nominated for Best Director. Uh, first time in its 93rd history, which, you know, 93 years is a long time, but we'll, we'll go for it. Um, and also, I don't know whether you saw earlier on, before um, a couple of months ago, they did announce this new diversity and inclusion standard. So there is kind of like... Um, a list a now list of, the, of, of what they need to hit. So, um, Claire, B, um, do you think this is working? Do you think next year it's going to get even better when it comes to diversity, or do you think it's just lucky this year? I think it's a bit like other Claire was saying, and like you did really notice it around kind of June, July of last year. Almost every release that 
um, studios were willing to put out was from a minority or from a female filmmaker. So I think some of this diversity has just been because some of our big normal people that you would have expected this, you know, February of last year, looking ahead, some of those names like the Wes Anderson film, where they pulled that straight off, that would have taken up a lot of categories. And there's quite a lot of other films that I think probably would have been in this that they've held back. So I'm not sure, I think it is a great list. There's a couple that personally I wouldn't have put there, but I can understand why they are there. Um, and I don't think there were any surprises or any, there's a couple snubs that didn't bother me, but I think there are a couple of names that people expected to see that they didn't see. But thinking about next year, I don't know what that will look like because equally, I think studios are pushing for those big blockbusters as well. So I'm not sure how many kind of Oscar films are going to get released in the next 12 months. I mean, you've got the few that were held back, so they'll obviously be coming out and I'm sure all get nominations. But I wonder if next year we might get some more independent films showing up in those nominations because the kind of typical Oscar film maybe hasn't gone ahead in production because all of the studio money has gone into finishing Jurassic World or Fast and Furious and all of these films that they need, that they know they'll get a packed out cinema for. So I don't think it's necessarily a sign of things to come, but I do think it is an improvement and I would hope it is going to continue, but I don't think I can be that optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, Gary, what about you? Do you think they're making progress uh, or you know is it something where like Claire just said there you know that they've kind of pushed forward released all kind of maybe the foreign language films um, onto streaming and they've delayed some of their more important films till next year do you think they're making enough progress it is progress to an extent that we've got where we are at the moment but yeah I'm with Claire I, I does it get better from here I don't know because because again there's been that uh, lack of of the blockbuster movie and much as I enjoy a mindless blockbuster this past year uh, or the past year we've had cinematically, I've loved because it's all been about small independent movies telling tales rather than just, you know, an explosion of effects. I've been lucky that I've seen every one of the films nominated for Best uh, best Picture and every one of them deserves to be on that list. You know, nothing here feels like box ticking. It, it, it does feel like these people are here on merit. Uh, you know, they haven't put Riz Ahmed in, oh, because he happens to be Asian. Riz Ahmed is brilliant in uh, Sound of Metal. Uh, Minari is there because it deserves to be there, not because, oh, it's an Asian film and it's about immigrants and this, that and the other. But yeah, I, I, I worry that as we're getting closer to some version of normality, that it'll be the blockbusters that sweep everything away again. Because it's interesting, when it's the one category that really stands out in everything in this year's Oscars, is when you look at the best special effects and only Tenet is the film that, that you go, oh, yeah, because there is nothing else that's been out that could compete with it, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I know when the diversity and inclusion standards came out and they had kind of a, a, a list of things that they needed to include in order to be nominated, there was a portion of people who I think were a bit cynical and just thought, oh, this is ruining creativity. Look what you're doing. It's like a criteria. You need to tick this box. But I'm with you lot. I think, you know, the films we've got this year speak for themselves. They are... Mm fantastic pieces of filmmaking um and i think audiences everywhere have really felt that um but claire vaughan you know a similar question to gary obviously the big one for me i guess is the kind of the two female directors in the category um although like i say it's taken 93 years for them to do this um do you agree with gary and claire in the sense that yeah it, it, yeah yeah sorry yeah um 
in short yes uh, <laughs> but no i mean the diversity inclusion standards i think is really really interesting because yes it's it's kind of arguably got a you know um, made a difference i think who's voting is kind of more important than anything else uh, they have done they did this big kind of recruitment drive well they have been doing this big recruitment drive over the last couple of years and some of the people are kind of keep, keep seeing like oh you know that person's that's good that person's an academy voter now you know people that you wouldn't necessarily because you have to usually you have to have been kind of in the academy nominated for something and obviously that just perpetuates you know and so they kind of they did this big drive to kind of like invite people in whether you've been nominated or not. And so that you know, sort of the cinematography, for example, the cinematographers association would kind of like you know suggest a bunch of people that they thought were like really important to 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 bring into the academy. And, and so that that I think makes more of a difference than diversity and inclusion standards because mm. in a sense, a, especially a huge film like a really large film you can kind of do a percentage box ticking exercise by bringing in a bunch of interns or having it all kind of like, you know, all backstage, all admin jobs, you know, things that um, are important, but like aren't necessarily changing how the story's told and what stories we're telling. So I think that that's kind of going to do more, more, more good that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. What about you, Joe? Do you agree? I think the key thing is we live in a day and age now where, social media is such a, a massively important tool. And obviously the Academy have only done this. And I, I do firmly believe it, even though the films are fantastic, the academies have always been responsive to um, controversy. They've got no choice but to respond to these controversies, which, are, which kind of go outside of the film world, but kind of enter the periphery of just the average person. I think you look at the Me Too movement, um, you look at Oscar so white, people who aren't film fans knew everything about that. So I think therefore the Academy, BAFTA, they've got no choice but to react to that. And I think as long as you've got these big names who are more open to speaking out about racism and, and think important things like that now. I mean, you look at John Boyega, He's talking about Star Wars, so it's you know something completely different to Oscars. But you know, just his conversations about how he felt he was treated um, in Disney, and then you know something more relevant. You've got Noel Clark. I mean, his award, his um, speech in BAFTAs uh, last week was tremendous. It was so poignant and so beautiful. And as long as you've got these people, these individuals who are holding the decision makers to account and saying, this isn't right. You know, I've had this experience. Um, you know, Ray Fisher with Justice League, that whole drama. You've got these individuals saying this isn't acceptable. Then I think as long as you've got these people, then hopefully it will continue as long as we're all holding the decision makers to account. So fingers crossed it does continue. Moving on now, shall we talk about Best Picture? Um, it's kind of the big category this year. And like I said, lots of diverse films and lots of quality films that all of us have seen. And we set our Oscar panel a challenge. They, we, they looked at the Best Picture category and they thought, right, which film do I want to see win? Or which film uh, am I particularly passionate about? Which film I really, really connected to? And um, so they each, they've each chosen a film from the Best Picture category and Joe has as well. Um, so we are going to have a little discussion of those movies. Um, and starting us off, we've got Claire Vaughan. And Claire, what film did you choose out of the Best Picture category? And why? Well, um, they're all good dogs, Dan. But I chose Sound of Metal as my uh, as my pick.
One of the reasons why I want to is it. This is one of the last films I saw in a cinema before COVID. So we had a big industry day um, last year, and I saw a bunch of the sort of promising young women. So this lovely, you know, they're like these are the films over the next few months are going to come out, and it was about two weeks before um, before we locked down, and so nobody. It just shows at that point nobody knew it was coming. You know, really we didn't. It's such a visceral film. It's such an immersive film. I mean, I know it's available on Prime at the moment. And I really, really hope people come into the cinema to see it because it is a different experience. I've watched it on streaming as well, fairly recently again. And um, the whole point of, of, of Sound of Metal is, is it's, it's, you, it immerses you in an experience. And like I say, I feel that's, that's best in the cinema. But I'll just tell you a little bit about the, the plot. So Riz Ahmed plays uh, Ruben and he's a, a metal drummer. Apparently it was based uh, on a, a band called um, Jucifer which is American sort of, uh, and sludge metal. This is actually one of my favourite genres of, of music, sludge metal. Uh, <laughs> so it was like, when it's, I remember when it started, I was like, this is like my favourite type of music. I would definitely be at this gig. This is great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he, it's kind of like, they're a little sort of DIY punk outfit, essentially, him and his girlfriend. And so that first shot, and it's like, it's almost like, say, quite meditative. He's, he's waiting, he's ready, he's kind of wired and he's just about to start playing and they go into the gig. So you can really get a feel of like, this is the music, this is their life. This is what his life is. But um, over the course of the film, Ruben's um, hearing starts to go. There's one particular gig. And after the gig, it's like, oh, it's his, his sound, sound is muddy. This is odd. And he's a recovering addict. And so his, his manager, who we, we never actually meet, sort of suggests that, that he goes to this, uh, this recovery centre for people who, who are sort of deaf and hard of hearing. And he doesn't want to accept the fact that he's going deaf and he's uh, offered a cochlear implant. And so it's kind of this, the story is about his kind of struggle to accept that this, that, you know, this is happening to him, this is really happening. And how do you kind of um, deal with, with, the, with the kind of the, almost like the addiction to hearing, the addiction to... Um, this normal way of life and how do you adjust and it was it's really interesting because like I say I watched it again recently and when, you know when I watched it originally I was like this is great I love this film this is wonderful but also like watching it after we've been in lockdown it, it's really interesting seeing a, an experience of somebody who's like no this is my normal life and I like this I don't want anything to change and then suddenly everything has to change he doesn't have any um you know there's no choice in the matter his life has changed and he has to get used to it and he has to make adjustments and obviously this is a different experience now watching it because we've had a, a huge life change to us all and we have to, we've had to get used to it we've had to kind of learn how to deal with things differently the use of sound in this film obviously it's, it's nominated for best sound editing as well is extraordinary because it's it's truly like you, you feel there's an external and internal basically in the film so the shots kind of um change from kind of like you know whether you're hearing kind of internally in in kind of inside Ruben's head or whether you're kind of external and so you kind of you get taken on the journey you do feel like um you do really understand what it's like from from Ruben's point of view having gone through this experience it's something like 30 percent ish it's it's hard to tell with with um deaf and hard of hearing um what percentage it is exactly because not everybody declares themselves deaf trying to make adjustments for such a large percentage of people the hearing world doesn't seem to make those adjustments it's like you know it's the, we, we sort of carry on and we're in our ignorance and until it happens to us 
and and so I think it, um, you know hopefully this film will, will go quite a long way of, of of trying to kind of like relate that experience back to the hearing audience as well um, and also like I say for, you know for the, for the deaf and hard of hearing audience having something which is actually talking to that community is, is great because there's so few films that, that do it and, and don't do it in a patronizing way either you know this is a really very kind of authentic film. I mean, Paul Raichi, who's who's in the film, um, playing the the sort of counselor Joe. He um, he, he grew up, He's not actually deaf himself, but his parents um, were deaf, and so he grew up in a, a sort of deaf household. And so you know, he's always been immersed in the community. There's a lot in this film, and there's a lot to talk about. And so, but like I say, just from a, in terms of best picture and why I've chosen it, I suppose it's just because it's it's such an extraordinary film. I felt all the way through, I just felt completely immersed within its world. And that's what the best cinema does. It's, it just puts you in a, it tells you a story of somebody that, you know, in a position that you, you're not in yourself, takes you out of, out of that and into, into somebody else's head. So that's why I've chosen it for Best Picture. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, I just managed to catch this. Like today, actually, just before the show, I was trying to fit all these films in. Um, and I completely agree. I mean, it's down to research, isn't it? It's down to having the people on set who uh, have experienced this um, and that level of realism passes through the film. And you're right. I, I love the internal, the external elements, not just with the sound design, but also the cinematography I really liked as well. And Olivia Cook, I think, was fantastic as well. She's yeah. great. I mean, she, she, I don't, she's very underrated. I don't really think she gets enough praise for what she does. Honestly, when I first saw Sam, I was like, God, what's her name? Because she's brilliant. You know, it's, she keeps popping up in films and being extraordinary. And then kind of, because she's not kind of given it, I kind of like, people don't talk about her very much. I kind of like, I keep forgetting what, you know, what her name is and like, you know, what have I seen her in and things like that. And I mean, hopefully lots of people see Sound of Metal, but I really want Livia Cook to be given a, a film where she can really shine because she, she's great as Lou as well. I mean, again, like she's got just kind of this nervy, kind of anxious face at the start. And, and you know, you see her journey with him uh, sort of as, as his kind of like, you know, partner in music and, and, his, and, his, and his girlfriend. And, and you just kind of, really feel for her um as the sort of your guide through this as the sort of the hearing person trying to deal with somebody who's who's, who's going through this so i think i think it's yeah she's she's extraordinary as well yeah and everyone else has seen this haven't you guys so what did you all think of it i thought it was wonderfully intimate which you know sound is such an intimate experience i don't think anyone hears anything the same um, and i think their ability to capture that on screen through the use of sound and I unfortunately watched it at home and my sound system isn't bad I put on my good speakers for it but I can imagine being in the cinema with proper sound how intimate that sound would be and the development of the use of sound and the development of the use of subtitles when when he first loses his hearing you've got probably what like a 10 20 minute segment of virtually silence because what we hear and what we understand is what the lead character understands and as he learns sign language and he goes through this process which I think was like what six months a year that the film takes place over as he develops we get more and more subtitles and we learn as he learns how to read lips and read sign we as an audience get to go through that with him and I thought it handled his journey so carefully that you always felt like you were right next to him for the whole film and and like I, I cheered at the end when, <laughs> when he, he there's a moment at the end and I was like yes that was it made it this feel good despite being quite a tense film I love that I love that clapping at your home yes come on neighbors are like what's you doing over there what's going on <laughs> Gary what about you did uh yeah um, do, do you yes. think it's deserving it definitely. Claire mentioned it's that opening scene. It's it's the way he's concentrating, ready. Just that's the best example I've ever seen of someone drumming 
in a movie ever. It's it's just you get why drummers are the way they are, why why this is such an important thing to them, uh, and you contrast that loud loud opening scene once that once the rhythm starts building to the absolute silence of the very final scene and you think that's the journey that's the arc of this character and obviously on that on that path he's gone through every stage of grief in a way the, uh, you know, bargaining uh, anger until acceptance arrives it's and it's, it's it's a mesmeric performance from Ahmed I think it's just it's the one thing that really holds that film together I, I did find for two hours it felt a little padded here and there but that central performance is brilliant and as you see yes Olivia Cook is superb as well and I love the fact that it, it's kind of like tough love when he's first in uh, the, the community that he's clearly no idea what's going on and everyone's uh, sign language and, and talking to each other and he's just the outsider and yes as you say you, you we learn uh, how, how to deal with sign language, how to, how to lip read and the same way he does. And by, uh, as you're getting close to the end of the film, he's just like the rest of them. He's using sign language and lip reading himself. And you think, that's that's just brilliant. And it's done subtly. There's, there's no, look look at this happening. It just, it's a natural flow of the film. Yeah, I mean, it's power of communication, isn't it? It's like mm. they all, everybody wants to communicate with each other. And I think that's the thing that um, right at the start, when when he, when he starts to lose his hearing, and, and you, because you're, the film is so trained on his face. And actually the, the sound, interesting enough, when we're internal in, inside his head, they sort of mic'd up inside his mouth and they mic'd up like, uh, they put him inside like a, there's a booth, I can't remember what it's called. It's got like a special name, but there's a there's one of these like incredibly silent booths you can go to, apparently it's in Paris. And mm -hmm. it's it's so quiet in there. The set, it's so, you know, so carefully, so you can hear like, you know, you know the blood flow and stuff like that is 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 you know a freaky experience apparently but yeah so they 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 very very carefully mic'd him up so it's it is it's, you know it's even his you know sound it's hit the sound of him we're so desperate because he's so desperate to communicate and just find out what's going on it's that's the thing isn't it it's the communication between all of us yeah definitely and um, well fingers crossed for sound of metal uh fingers claire gets her way and it wins best picture mm -hmm. oh, we'll have to wait and see um gary let's move on to mm -hmm. your film now because you chose okay. a very different film we I talked did. about diversity didn't we before but um yes. yeah go for it well to be honest with you, uh, this is the first of the uh the, the big oscar tranche outside of netflix because obviously i had seen uh, the chicago seven and mank uh, earlier end of last year so of the new, of the rest of them, the new ones, this is the first one I saw, and I just loved it. Uh, Minari. It's actually uh, based on the life story of, of the writer-director of the film itself. It's a, um, a, a Korean family who were living in California and have up sticks from there and have now moved to rural Arkansas because the father wants to start a farm, with the idea being of growing... Uh, produce specifically for the Korean market because there are so many uh, uh, Korean immigrants coming into America. I had an idea in my head how it was going to pan out and it just doesn't go the way because you think, oh, there'll clearly be racism in this. And, and you know, you, you have this sort of set idea of, and it isn't. You're thinking, oh, they're going to create drama for the sake of it, as Hollywood does. And, and human life already is drama. And that's what I love about this film. The drama is life just happens around you and you have to deal with it. It's not racism, but where, where there's the culture clashes between the parents and the kids. Because when the family are together, they all speak Korean, but when the kids are together, they speak American. And they are kids of the USA. You can see that straight away. And of course, then there's the extra bit of later on where a grandma is brought in. Jacob's mother is brought over from Korea to help with babysitting. 
and she is proper old school Korean, and the kids can't handle her at all, especially the, the little boy, David. He said, Oh, you even smell like Korea. That, that's the like, yeah. <laughs> which I think that's that that's technically racism, but does it count if it's one Korean person saying it to another thing? But it's just an incredible little story, and you just get hooked in to, to the real life story of these people and just the day-to-day struggle. But but the heart and soul of this whole film is this relationship between the grandmother and the grandson. And, I, and, and I've got to be honest, I was so chuffed that she won the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress. And I have every finger crossed that she wins the Best Supporting Oscar as well. Because it is a brilliant performance. I was howling with laughter quite often. The absolute beating heart of this story is that relationship between the grandmother uh, and the grandchild. Without spoiling it too much, it, there is quite a tragic ending, but there's also the final scene which offers hope. For the future, and I, I just loved it because it's it's a quiet film, it's it's a film where you could say well nothing much happens, but nothing has to happen, because it's just life being thrown at you. The highest compliment I could pay it is that at its best, it just reminds me of Terence Malick at his finest, because it's all about character study, and this lovely uh, landscape of Arkansas around it as well. Um, there were little bits of it that reminded me of Jean de Fleurette. Uh, and the fact that you've kind of got a stubborn husband that can't deal with things from the outside. Uh, There's also a uh, highly underrated 1980s film with Mel Gibson, Sissy Spacer, called The River, which is, again, about a a, a family, a farming family that struggle just because of life. And there's little echoes here. Uh, Although I'm fairly sure that the whole film you know, stands on its own. It's not taking ideas from anyone else. So, yeah, it's, it's just... A lovely, lovely film. And Alan Kim, I mean, he plays David. He's a little star. He reminds me, reminds me of Jacob Tremblay in Room, you know, mm, a couple of years yeah. ago. Um, I, I see a similar path, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, Claire, Claire B, what, what did you think? The only thing I knew when I started watching this film was that I'd seen loads of people talking about how wonderful and heartwarming the relationship between the grandson and the grandmother was, and that in all the posters it was like kids playing in a field with sunshine. So I thought this was like a really happy, feel-good family love fest. And I got about 15 minutes into it and I texted my friend who'd already seen it and I was like, um, yeah, Minari. It's a feel-good film, right? And she's like, oh, no. She's like, it, it's a nice film. But she was like, it's not a feel-good film. <laughs> it, was, it was like a miserable Sunday afternoon. And I was like, I need to grab, grab the tissues. <laughs> I was just like, I, well, I just, I was feeling so tense. And I was like, why do I feel like something bad is going to happen at any point? And it, so once I kind of was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to buckle in. Once I got on board with actually what the film was I loved it and but it's one that I want to go back and revisit because the first like 30-40 minutes before the grandmother arrived I spent the whole time being like I really don't know what's happening and I don't know what genre this is and I'm scared and I'm anxious and once the grandmother arrived I was so on board because yeah they are the heart of the film. She deserves every award. She is amazing. Like you said, you know, she's so Korean and they're so American. She becomes so American with the Mountain Dew and the TV. They just, they wrote her perfectly. And it's so yeah. wonderful to read about the writer-director because it's based on his real life, how much he put into it. Like his interviews are fascinating. I really enjoyed this and didn't love it, but I feel like if I rewatched it now, I probably would love it now that I actually understand the film. No, n- note to self, don't watch on a rainy, depressing Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Watch it on a Friday night. Get a glass of wine open. <laughs> You'll cry even more probably. <laughs> Claire Vaughan, what about you? Did you enjoy this? Yeah, no, I I, I love Minari. I, I should say as a little plug, um, you can watch it via the chapter player. Um, the very lovely people at Altitude who are putting the film out. Um, so again, you know, when I said, talked about modern, Altitude have also been a lovely, lovely distributor to work with over, over lockdown and like, you know, in, in life. They're lovely, but no, the, the film is is wonderful, and like, yeah, the grandmother, yeah, she's 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 fantastic. I, I love it when when grandmas are allowed to be bolshy and like annoying and you know not, not always likable and and because I mean that that's you know that was my experience with my grandmas and so, <laughs> you know I, and and so it's always whenever you've got like a really insipid grandma in a film, I'm like, oh, did you did you ever have a grandma? Because that's that's not that wasn't my grandma. One of mine was a horror show, and the other one was just the loveliest person ever. So it's, yeah, the balance worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and I know Joe, you absolutely love this because I, I went on Letterbox and I just saw your rating and I was just like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think even though I'm going to be talking about The Father, I would probably say Minari is my favourite film of the year so far. And I think, um, like Claire B was saying, it's a weird one because you're sat there watching it and it's lovely one moment, but you are just on edge the whole time and the film does foreshadowing so well and for me the film is essentially taking the American dream which we've seen done time and time again but sort of framing it in an almost biblical sense I mean at the beginning Jacob says it's it's going to be the garden of Eden and you when when somebody when he says that you know something's going to go wrong so the rest of the film there's like a moment where um you know the the boy has, has just been you know he's his heart's not great and then I think somebody says, oh, is that a storm coming? And you think, well, it better not be a storm coming. That boy better make it out alive. That's all I can say. <laughs> There's literally a point where, you know, they see a snake slithering through the, the trees and you just think this is lovely, but something is going to go wrong, which is inevitably going to turn their lives upside down and, and it's all going to go horribly wrong. So you are sat there kind of going, oh, this is lovely. This is so nice. But at the same time, you are thinking, where is this going to go? Is this going to be end horribly um, with a death or something like that and just be like brutalized for the rest of your life? I absolutely loved it. The performances are superb. And like Gary said, it was refreshing, especially because it's Oscar baity. It was refreshing to see a film which wasn't all, you know, um, you know, Americans kind of going, get out of here, chasing them out of the town. So that, that, that was nice as well. Yeah, you just, get just, out of here. <laughs> just want to say, Stephen Yuen, I mean, like, oh my goodness, I've been a fan for years. And so to see the world coming, coming to see him as he is, complete like acting legend and very hot, has made me very happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stop <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's he's he's such an extraordinary actor. He can kind of do anything. And we've, you know, I mean, he was on The Walking Dead years ago and, you know, it's this really cutesy kind of like character on there, very wholesome character. And, and then he, you know, he's in, um, you know, the, uh, the burning film, the Korean film, if anybody saw that. I think it's available on maybe Netflix. It's, it's again, a wonderful film. It, you know, if, if you like Minari, go and see Burning, because it's he's, he's a fantastic performance in that very different character. But yeah, he, he can do anything. And I just want to see him in every film, please. Currently doing excellent voice work on the superhero animation Invincible. Which yes, is Gary, yes. I, love, I am loving Invincible. Yes, yes, me too. Absolutely superb. Oh, brilliant. Well, what a handsome devil he seems to be. So I'll try and get his number for you, Claire, OK? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
you pop down the chapter art center okay claire b uh now over to you it's your go and i'm really excited for this one you've got a very promising choice um so can you tell everybody uh, which best picture film you chose I have gone with Promising Young Woman, which is my film of the year. I was just astounded by it as a film. Um, I think it's very much a film that was made for me. I'm a 31-year-old white woman. It is about a 30-year-old white woman in modern-day society. I mean, the biggest thing is the casting. You've got Emma Fennell and Karen Mulligan, which I'll talk about in a second, but you cannot talk about this film without talking about the amazing casting, and loads of people have written brilliant articles on it. But every single face you see in this film is a face you know, and they could be the character that you know them for, but you realise how little you know about people. The, you, the, the opening scene has um, Adam Brody, Seth Curran from the OC, who was a very important part of my teenage years. And it's funny because even though the character he plays in this is so different to Seth Cohen, it's actually the exact same. It's just that in the OC, we all thought his weird obsessive stalkery tendencies were so cute and endearing and he was so in love. And when you look at it as an adult, you're like, no that's actually really inappropriate and that's really uncool and that's one of the things that Emerald Fennell who wrote and directed it gets so well I would consider myself very lucky I have not been in any of the circumstances that happen in this film I do know people who have and there's again wonderful wonderful writing out there from sexual assault survivors who really resonated with this film I can't recommend more going out and reading those there's one from Girls on Tops that came out yesterday which is a brilliant read and so please do go out and read them but one of the things that did resonate with me is I've heard these conversations, I've heard these words come out of people I know. I've heard people who I respect say things like, oh, but he's a really nice guy and oh, he just made a mistake. And these are people who I respect and find very intelligent. And it nailed the dialogue despite being such a hyper visualized film at its core there's so much realism to it. And I think that's why they've made it so hyper-visualized because if you went into the realism, it would be too hard a watch and it maybe would be too overbearing. And one of the best things about it, which I really dug into, you know, it was billed as a revenge film, but it's also a grief film. It's about survivor's remorse. And I love the fantasy elements of it and the fairy tale elements of it. Everything in this film is candy coated. Um, like Hansel and Gretel, it is just this really fairy tale element. Everything that our lead, Carrie Mulligan, and Cassie wears has a ribbon or a bow or a cherry and it's pastel because she is Little Red Riding Hood almost. You know, she is pretending to be this wonderful, innocent creature to catch out these people who prey on them. And Fennell is able to mix so many genres, so many tones. And yet you never lose the message of what the film is trying to say. You know what Cassie's goal is, whether you agree with Cassie's actions or not, whether you agree with her goal or not, and whether you agree with her final decision and the ending of the film or not, you always know what the plan is and it makes sense within the world of the film. I loved the ending, totally understand why other people didn't, um, but I found it really great and I think Mulligan especially it's so you know she kind of fell into that Kira Knightley school of period drama and she does great in a period drama but you know I loved her in an education which was you know one of her breakthrough roles even though that was slightly period it was a very modern role it's so lovely to see her do something modern be the lead character have the power in a film and this brought out that kind of precocious nature of her persona again 
and the way she's able to switch gear five times in one scene in one shot I mean she's a master and it's so wonderful to see her back front and center in a film again and yeah I, I mean I've watched it three and a half times I love it um I will be buying it the minute I can and yeah just love it Straight after this recording, she's watching the other half straight oh, away. Yeah, one hundred percent. She's probably going to watch it right now. <laughs> I, I got to the bit. Anyone who's seen it, where she goes to the university office. So hey. if you have seen the film, that is not the point that you want to end the film on. A pinnacle scene. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. I watched this last night, and I was shaken. I was shook. I cried. I felt sick at times. I mean, I was a mess, and the, I didn't. I didn't even drink anything. I didn't even drink any alcohol, and I was already a mess. I'm with you. I just. I've heard so much about this film, and we've waited. We've waited a long time here in the UK to watch it. There were reports it was going to be delayed and released in cinemas, um, and then finally it's been released on Now TV and Sky Cinema, and it just completely hooked me and captivated me. And you're right. There are many themes in this. Survivor's guilt. There is, you know, a themes of sexual harassment and, and rape, but also entitlement I, mm -hmm. and, and how that's, you know, how that's played around with gender. And there's a great scene in the actual university with the principal, the head of the university, where she says, well, you know, you have to give him benefit of the doubt. And it's he said, she said. Um, and I just loved how intricate this film was and how, you know, it could have just been a really cynical film about, you know, well, men are always wrong. It's like, no, let's explore this, actually, mm -hmm. and let's try and... Um, dissect this and make it make sense because it does um, and you're right I love the ending oh my gosh it, it made me feel sick to my stomach but I loved it one of the most one of the cleverest things they did was make the main kind of cast doctors Cassie is someone who went to medical school and dropped out of medical school and a lot of people she encountered are doctors and that's I think one of the best choices because it is that entitlement when we think of people who go out and date rape when we think of people who attack women we think of low life and scum you don't think it's the wonder doctor who looks after you when you've been sick and you don't think it's the rich man who has the beautiful wedding who's secretly going out and doing this to women behind closed doors so I think that is one of the best tools that they utilized in the film. How did everyone else watch it? Did, did, did any of you see this film before yesterday? Yeah go on Claire Vaughan. <laughs> yeah so again this is another film I saw in the cinema um, <laughs> before mm. lockdown sorry it actually it, it's making me a little bit angry thinking about it because uh, it's on Now TV and it's an exclusive with Sky, so we won't be able to show this in the cinemas. So Sound, uh, Sound of Metal um, and Nomadland, there's, uh, you know, there's other films that have been released on streamers. And the thing that makes me angry about it is that the moment, like, we were all sat there, like, you know, me and some, you know, colleagues from around the country sat there in this cinema watching this film. It's like, oh, my goodness, it's a roller coaster ride. It's a proper, like... You don't know where it's going to go. It shifts genres on itself. And then like, you know, really, it's really, there's so many unexpected twists and turns in it. And we all got out and we were all talking about it afterwards. And we're all in the toilet being like, oh my God, that bit and this bit. And it breaks my heart that I can't do that with my audience. That's, it was the, you know, so we were all planning like, oh, you know, we're going to get in experts on sexual violence and we're going to get um you know just have these really great discussions with young women we're going to do some work around this you know uh, the people from independent cinemas you know so they, they totally do that in the multiplexes obviously but yeah and it, like I say I won't be able to do this it's all going to be on the internet you know people are going to be talking on the internet which is fine it will happen but it's not the same as kind of having a broad audience who are coming from all these different directions just sat at a table together discussing the nuances of this film which really need to be discussed but yeah I love this film I think it's great 
the only benefit to it being online rather than similar, I heard this from an interview with Fennell and Mulligan, was they did say the only slight thing that makes them feel happy that it wasn't a cinema release is that it was being very heavily marketed to women. And if it was a similar release, you imagine that it would be groups of girls going to see it more, more than not. Being an at-home release, you might get couples watching it and a man watching it who maybe wouldn't necessarily have chosen to go and see it and that hopefully that will create a new dialogue that maybe would have been missed. It's a very tiny silver lining in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Um, but it is, I think <laughs> yeah. it'd be a very interesting film to watch as a couple. Very fascinating insights you'd get to a pairing in that instance. Well, that's yeah, exactly I how I watched it last night was me and me and uh, my better half, Hannah. Um, and she was really excited for it. And, you know, we, we both have been for, for a long time. And like Dan said, it's just been the hype is just built and built because it has been so long. The Americans had it however long ago, uh, which is even worse. And, you know, they've got on DVD now and, and it's just been that build up um, to finally seeing it. And it did live up to expectations. And it was, yeah, it's one of those interesting experiences, just having Hannah sat there, uh, you know, getting, and, and we've done it before. There was that great show last year, um, I May Destroy You, which I think was the best show of, of, of 2020. It gives that added perspective. I could have conversations uh, about experiences and things like that that Hannah has maybe had or, or, or knows people who has had those experiences in the past. It does give a whole new perspective to the viewing experience and I was absolutely furious like luckily it was one of those films which just put me through the ringer because like without spoiling anything there's a moment which happens towards the end and I was absolutely furious on the one hand because I was like I can't believe they're gonna end it this way but on the other hand I thought well this is probably what would happen in real life let's face it this is probably what would happen in real life so it's being true to life in a way but also I wasn't very happy with that so I think it did what it was supposed to do. And I think, um, you know, Kerry Mulligan, like you said, she has fallen into that Kira Knightley sort of career. The last film I saw with her was The Dig on Netflix. And it was fine, but I, I thought it was quite boring, to be honest. Um, so it was great to see her in this, this type of role. I know there's been a lot of controversy around that, about a, a certain film critic, a, a male journalist, and his thoughts on, on Kerry Mulligan in the lead role. And then I think you've got um, the great direction. And again, the foreshadowing in this film is incredible. The way that they frame Kerry Mulligan through the film when she sat on her bed and she's got like these, um, like almost angel wings to her. And then there's like a scene um, where she's kind of framed in front of a green halo or a blue halo on the wall in work. And there's this great foreshadowing going on through it the whole time, uh, which I really appreciated. And I just think it it's just a really excellent piece of work, which I think has all the makings of being a classic. You know how people look back at Gone Girl now and they go, you know, that, that, that was brilliant. Um, so I think it is a shame that we're not going to get to see it in a cinema because I'd love to hear the silence um, of that screen in, in some of those moments. Absolutely. And kind of the, the, the jaws dropping as well. Yes, you know, at yes, exactly. Point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Gary, what about you? What do you think? Uh, this is the film we reviewed Friday uh, on Larry Show on Radio Wales. I'm with Claire B on this. I, this is my film of the year. Uh, hands hands down. I, have, I haven't seen a film this extraordinary in years. And it's all about surface and depth 
on the surface is pink and fluffy and lovely, and the depth of it is rage. And that final act is just a primal scream. Um, I, I get you know, I, I couldn't go into any plot spoilers, obviously, on air, because you just want people to see this film. But that final, final, the last 10, 15 minutes, it is a, a gut punch at, on one hand, but it's also the punch the air moment at the same time. And you think, and if it wasn't for uh, Emerald Fennel reinventing the rules of uh, the revenge movie and doing it in such a ballsy way, I don't think you'd have got away with that because it, it wouldn't have sat comfortably. But it's just an extraordinary film. And, and as, as we've already been mentioning about Kerry Mulligan, has often played put-upon characters, little bit of steel at her core, possibly. This is all steel. But there's also there's also um, the fact that she shows uh, the softer side when the rom-com element starts in the story. And that's the other thing I loved about this. There's this part of the film where there's a rom-com and a revenge thriller twining around each other. And you just wonder, well, which, which one wins out at the end of the day? And the fact that you're still not sure when it starts to get to that payoff, I think it's brilliant. It, it is just, uh, hands down, the most extraordinary film I have watched in years. And, and I think my five-word review on Friday was, give it all the Oscars. Um, Emerald, <laughs> this, I mean, this is Emerald Fennell's first feature as a director. And on one hand, you go, that's it, stop. It'll, it'll never get better than this. This is just incredible. But then you're also going, no, no, more. I want to see what you do next. But it, it is just a phenomenal piece of work. Absolutely. Go and watch it if you can on Now TV Sky Cinema. It's a shame it's not being shown in cinemas. Yeah. Damn you, Sky. But um, yeah, yeah, try and watch it wherever you can. And worth, men again. worth mentioning as well, because as soon as I posted my review last night, um, funnily enough, a lot of people reached out because I posted on stories. So a lot of um, women who aren't, you know, big cinema goers obviously are very interested in it. At the moment, you can get a free trial. So even if you don't pay, you know, for Sky, uh, you can get a seven-day free trial on now. So even if you don't have Sky and you're excited to watch it, take the free trial and, um, yeah, it, you won't regret it. Daisy. That's me. Dean Walker. Please sit. My assistant says that you are interested in resuming med school. That's right. May I ask what prompted your desire to get back to your studies? I guess I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. Oh. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. Finally, Joe, take us away with your pick. 
Yeah, so my pick is The Father, uh, which is based off of a French play uh, written by Florian Zeller, uh, which was uh, brought to the UK, um, did really well in the UK, and then obviously inevitably was approached by, you know, a film production company who wanted to turn it into a uh, feature. Um, so it stars our very own Welshman, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins, who is back in the country at the moment as well, which is lovely uh, to see, and of course, won the BAFTA um, for Best Actor uh, last week. And um, he plays uh, a man called Anthony, uh, who is suffering from dementia and uh, begins to doubt like the things he's seeing and the people who are closest to him, specifically his daughter, played by uh, Livia Coleman, as his condition progressively worsens. And going into this, on the one hand, I was uh, very excited because the film itself looked terrific. And uh, my dad, in particular, he's a, he's a very strong Welsh. He, he loves Anthony Hopkins. He's, he's his favourite actor. Silence of the Lambs is his favourite film. And I just wish I could have sat down and, and watched this with, with my dad. Um, so I was excited to see it for, from that perspective. But on the other hand, it has sort of come around at a particularly kind of tender um, point in my life um, as literally a couple of weeks before I saw this um, my nan uh, who is my hero she's got dementia and we had to make the decision to put her into a care home so going into this at this particular time in my life I was very very um, nervous and within the first 10 minutes of this we see Olivia Coleman uh, you know go go see her father played by Anthony Hopkins she basically says that she's going to move to France. And at that stage, we're like, is she really? You know, what, what's real, what's not? And Anthony Hopkins has this one line where he says, what's going to become of me? Flood of tears. I was just in absolute tears within the first 10 minutes. My heart was broken. I was emotionally devastated. And that just built and built as the film progressed to the point where basically I was in the other room watching it um, on my laptop while my other half, I told her what it was about and she had the good sense to go, well, I'm not watching it. <laughs> she was like, it sounds, that sounds really sad. So I'm not watching it. When she saw me in absolute floods of tears in the three years that we've been together, she said she's never seen me so upset as, as, as I was after this film. And I think that's the main thing that the film has going for it is that I think a lot of people will, will relate to the film and have been anybody who's been through that in their life, who have had a family member who suffered from dementia will see the signs. There, there are moments in this where you know, I saw all the signs of what was going on in my personal life, all the signs, things that my mum had said, how Anthony Hopkins, who plays it brilliantly, can go from being charming in his, uh, you know, classic Welsh way, being charming, to kind of angry in, in a second. The way he progressively kind of becomes more infantile as, as the story develops. It's so beautifully written. It comes from a place um, you can tell where somebody's lived that personal experience, had that experience, or at least spoken to people who've had those experiences. So it's going to hit hard for a lot of people, I think. And I think that's hammered home by Anthony Hopkins's performance. He's outstanding. And in a year of diversity, it sounds very boring for me to say that it is my favourite performance of the year, but I've got to go with my gut. And I think his performance is incredible. It's the best I've seen him in years. As much as I would love to see Riz Ahmed win as well, um, Anthony Hopkins for me just, just steals the show. Olivia Coleman, she has a tougher job 
Um, not that she's overshadowed by Annie Hopkins, but her role is a supportive role. Um, so, you know, she has the tougher job, but she is still fantastic. And towards the end of the film, it becomes more about her. You know, you kind of see things from, more from her perspective um, and she does great there. But the bigger thing as well is that it's sort of framed at the beginning of like an Hitchcockian thriller. Like I, when it starts, I was like, there's, there's a twist within like the first quarter of an hour and you, you just, your head starts spinning. Like, what is going on here? Is he right? Is, is something weird going on here? You know, he's clearly got money. He's clearly wealthy. Is something untoward going on? And it's sort of framed through this Hitchcockian um, thriller, the lens of a Hitchcockian thriller. And the script is fragmented and it's almost there's a scene like halfway through at a kitchen um table where, where they're having dinner and it messed with my mind it was like Christopher no Nolan levels of like trippiness like how the scene plays out twice you know um back to back and I was just absolutely blown away by the writing it hit me on an emotional level and when I think when a film hits you in an in an emotional way it's going to be hard for any other films, I think, to compete with that. So um, I just absolutely loved it. It floored me. And um, yeah, it's one of my favourites of, of the year. But what did you think, Gary? Yeah, Joe, I have to agree with you. Uh, I haven't seen Hopkins this good in years. Uh, it's a tremendous, tremendous... I mentioned earlier about having two grandmothers. One was a horror show. The other was The Loveliest Lady Alive. Uh, I watched The Loveliest Lady Alive leave us piece by piece uh, over the years. And all of that is in that film, and it's, it is. It's if you've had anyone that's that suffered that horrible dementia disease, uh, uh, this film will just hit home so much. But on top of that, that performance and that very last scene. Oh God, I, I mean, I am. You know, I've I've cried more in lockdown than I have in a long, long time. And I, I've, <laughs> I've just been getting. I was watching the Knight's Tale this afternoon. Um, uh, with Heath Ledger and it's the bit where he, where he meets up with his dad again played by uh, Christopher Kasanov gone, absolutely gone <laughs> but, but this this time the final scene with Anthony yeah. Hopkins and the father it, that's a legit losing it moment I yeah. feel um, and, it's, and I think it's fascinating uh, the film really you're, you're seeing that film through Hopkins' character's eyes because there's so much going on, you think, oh, hang on, that's, that's not right. And then it suddenly dawns you. You're basically watching a director putting the idea of dementia on screen. And that, that in itself is brilliant. And again, and, and all this in an hour and a half to get that kind of power to, yeah. to you know, a film of that length. Obviously, he's won the BAFTA already, but, but I tell you, I, I, he's got to be a lock for the Oscar this year, because that's just such a powerful performance. Yeah, definitely. I, I cry at BBC News most of the time. So, <laughs> wow. I, you know, films, uh, Home Alone 2 gets to me every time. Um, Claire Vaughan, what about you? Did it kind of strike a personal connection with you as well? Yeah, I mean, we've been um, doing a lot of work with people living with dementia for, for a few years now in Chapter. Um, so we've been doing dementia-friendly screenings. Oh, I'm trying to think now, it's, it's at least five years. And so I've worked a lot with that, um, with that community. And I mean, one of the reasons why we started doing sort of dementia-friendly screenings in the first place was because, you know, people living with dementia in their families, it's an incredibly hard thing, but you know, there's people in the care homes and, you know, they need some respite, they need some time, you know, the people living with dementia, like they need something, some fun in their lives. So 
bring them to the cinema and let them have a sort of a nice day out. And so we have, so we've got sort of a cup of tea afterwards and things like that. But then also when we've got, um, you know, so people, their fa- when their families accompany them, them as well, it also gives a chance for the families to talk to each other and share stories and kind of like, and, and in a way sort of network and they sort of like, you know, have a social time together and things that are most dear to my heart about the reason why we can't be in a cinema at the moment. I really miss doing those monthly screenings. It's been so important to me to do that. And, and hearing stories of, you know, like sometimes I'll sit there for an hour afterwards and so I'll sort of chat to the family members. They're just so grateful to have people to talk to and to understand their experience a little bit. And, um, and this is the thing, this is the power of this film, because I think it's really hard, the, the, the perception issues with people dementia, like it's really hard to kind of get into that headspace of like, what must be, it be like when you can't rely on what you're seeing and hearing around you and, and like, you know, your memories and, you know, and, and so and this is the why the film's so skillful. Like you see, it is like a Hitchcock um, thriller in, 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 in some respects, you know, because, you know, there's, there's things that go missing. It's like, are they, are they really missing? You know, it's it's like it's, you know, is 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 he misplaced it as as you know, is some, somebody stealing from him or whatever? You know, all these all these things going on. You're like, yeah, because you you just don't know. You don't you know you can't rely on 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 your own feelings and your own you know memories and what you're seeing in front of you. And like you say, the way that he can turn from being that classic, charming again, you know, I have it in you know in, in sometimes somebody's like, oh, you know. Can can you can you just help me and take my hand for a second? And it's like he's making a movie on me, you know. We, we, have, <laughs> we, we have that in the cinema, you know. It's like in, you know, I don't want to You know, you have these these lovely old men being so charming, and I was like, oh, okay, I well, know Claire, what the game is. Claire, they've got no chance. You're with Stephen Ewan, aren't you? So that's oh yeah, fine. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Back off, people. Can't, can't but yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you know, it's it's you know, this this lovely performance he gives where he's like, yeah, he's a charming, attractive man, and then like. Five minutes later he just looks like a vulnerable broken old man you know and it's and and that performance that to be able to bring that to bring all of those things in the one person that's a human that's all of us that's mm. human beings we're charming yeah. and we're vulnerable and and it's and so to see that on screen is just really extraordinary yeah well thankfully it is going to cinemas um fingers yeah. crossed in june, in june yeah june which is going to be yeah. brilliant um and that's fantastic claire claire b any any final thoughts on this I'm going to get thrown off the podcast. I didn't like the father. No! I wish I would asked you now, Claire. <laughs> so, I... She's my, the bad Claire. I know, right? <laughs> Both of my grandmothers also had Alzheimer's. So I have a history and experience of Alzheimer's. And I think, I don't know if I went in with too many expectations. I don't know what it was. I found it painfully mediocre. I came out stone cold. I wasn't moved at all. Nothing... I had no emotion for the entire runtime and towards the end I kind of was just waiting for it to get to the inevitable where you do see that twist at the end I had seen it coming 40 minutes earlier and I was like come on we all know where this is ending up dies in the end (laughs) (laughs) I just I was really really disappointed in myself I was just like I came out stone cold and I just thought where is the film that everyone told me would wreck me and have any it just it did not connect with me in any way I I can't fault it for a a piece of work it's very well directed it's brilliantly acted it's well put together the choreography and the use of the set is wonderful but it did nothing for me and I've realized this year 
the other two films that I just couldn't understand what people were going on about were One Night in Miami and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Those two films, just to me, I was like, they are very well made, but I don't get it. And all three of them, The Father, Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami, are all stage adaptations. And I love the theatre. It's one of my first loves. And the whole time I was watching The Father, the only thing I could think of was how much I wish I could have seen it on a stage and how much more impactful and emotional it would have been on a stage. And I realised that maybe I'm just really subconsciously anti-stage adaptations. (laughs) That's the only... Well, I, you know, film is subjective, isn't it? And I think we all we all have that film that we didn't understand and we, we can appreciate the technical elements of it. So, Claire, you're fine. You're welcome to come back. We're not going to banish you away, OK? <laughs> um, but there we are. Thank you, everybody, for um, your best picture uh, favourites. And fingers crossed that yours will win. Obviously, not all of them can win, so there will be plenty of losers. But we'll wait and see. Your whiskey. Thank you. Cheers. Oh, ha. Mm. Oh. You know, I give everything I own for a glass of whiskey, don't you agree? Well, I don't own all that much, so... Oh, really? <laughs> what do you do for a living? Um, I look after other people. Other people? Hmm. Yeah, my job is to help people who need help. <laughs> oh. Sounds like one of those girls you're always trying to dump off a maid here. Must be a difficult job, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, spending all day with one of those. Ugh, I mean, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I <didn't mind. laughs> what about you? What did you do for a living? Oh, I was a dancer. Were you? Yes. Dad? What? You were an engineer. What do you know about it? Yes, tap dancing was my specialty. Really? You seem surprised. Yeah, a little bit. Why, don't you believe me? Or you find that difficult to imagine? <laughs> of course, it's just, I've... I've always loved tap dancing. You really? Wow. I'm still great at it. I'll show you. <laughs> Aye! <laughs> Jolly good. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I know, I know. She reminds me of. Who? It's Lucy. Lucy when she was younger. Lucy? Yeah, my other daughter. <laughs> That's right. There's a resemblance, don't you think? Yeah, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yes. Her unbearable habit of laughing inanely. I had you there, didn't I? Uh, Moving on now, we're going to do a quick round of who should win, will win. Okay, so we're going to go through um, just a couple of the big nominations this year. Um, So you've got actor and actress in leading role, cinematography, uh, directing. We'll see how we get on. So first things first, we we discussed it just a little bit there, but actor in a leading role. Uh, This year, we've got Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, um, and Stephen Yeun for Minari. So what do we all think, guys? Um, Gary, let's start with you. Who do you uh, think should win, like your personal favourite, and who do you think will win? Uh, Anthony Hopkins should win. Anthony Hopkins will win. I'm putting money on this one. Oh, how much? <laughs> uh, I'm actually putting 20 quid on it. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So we can do a little betting game now. We're going to start putting money in. Hey, poker. Um, that's brilliant. What about you, Claire Vaughan? Um, Riz Ahmed, you know, I'm, I'm a big Sound of Metal fan. And so I think, uh, yeah, Riz Ahmed should win, I think. I think it's extraordinary. Although I love um, Anthony Hopkins' uh, performance and I think he probably will win. Although, I don't know. I mean, that Chadwick Boseman, obviously, the you know, he, he is wonderful in Marwane's Black Bottom. But, you know, how much... It's, it's really difficult to tell, actually, just to say briefly, 
really difficult to tell how it's going to go because you know there hasn't been the usual campaigns that we've we've seen you know you can usually sort of track a little bit of like oh that person's getting a lot of press or there's a lot of talking of this and there hasn't been that so I, this year i'm a little, little bit see more than i usually am but yeah i think it's anthony hopkins will win i think yeah what about you joe I think Anthony Hopkins should win and I think he will win. So I might join Gary on that £20 bet by there. I think uh, I think he deserves it. Definitely. Uh, and Claire B, not Anthony Hopkins for you, I'm guessing. Well, I'm the same as Claire Bourne. I want Rosanna to win. I think he deserves the win. But I'm completely 50-50. I feel like Bozeman for the longest time has been the favourite. Hopkins in the last like what few weeks has suddenly kind of caught up as the favourite. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. But I don't see it being anyone other than Hopkins or Bozeman. I can't understand a world where either of them wouldn't win, much as I want Ahmed to win. Yeah, so no Gary Oldman fans in the house? No. <laughs> okay. Um, terrible. Can I just say, he was terrible and I hated his performance in that. It's, it's an unpleasant yeah. character. I think yes. that's, that's the trouble with Mank. He's an unpleasant character and, and as a result, doesn't really deserve that uh, award then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to go for Bozeman. I, I don't know. I think, yeah, he's uh, had a lot of track records, so we'll see. Um, moving on now to actress in a leading role. We've got Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, Andrew Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of Woman. It's good to see Pieces of Woman pop up now. Um, Francis McDormand for Nomadland and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Um, I'll just kick it off. I would love Carrie Mulligan to take this one. Or Vanessa Kirby. I thought she that was a really intimate film and I, I thought she was fantastic. Again, Again, dealing with a very difficult sub- subject matter, um, but I think Francis McDormand's going to take it. Um, what about you, Claire B? Exactly the same. Um, I only watched Pieces of All in this morning and I was blown away by Kirby. I just kind of had some personal stuff going on when it was released and didn't check in with it. And oh my God, how late am I to the game? But what a film, what a performance. I have been championing Mulligan even before I've seen Promising Young Woman. Mm. Since I've seen it, I've been all the way on her. But actually, I'm split between her and Kirby. I think they both deserve it equally. But I feel like the Academy will go McDormand. And I mean, Mm. it wasn't a bad performance, just wasn't my one. Yeah, yeah, she, uh, that's their issue. Claire Vaughan, for you, do you think uh, Andrea Day? Because I know you used to say that you're very fond of her performance. She's, she's very good in, in uh, as Billie Holiday. I think she's, she's like I say, I, I, I urge everybody to see it in that free trial. Um, I think it's it's a really good performance. But I think um, I, I, I do want Kerry Mulligan to win. I, that's who I, I, I think is the, is the, like I say, just handling a, a film like that, like Prompting Young Women and all the twists and turns it takes. And like, you know, sometimes like just like a certain twitch on her face is is like you know you sort of read so much into and and they're all good performances i think viola davis might get it though for ma rainey Ah, that's what i think he's gonna get it interesting uh what about you gary um if you took all the swearing out of the uh billy holiday versus the usa you could you could whack that on channel five on a sunday afternoon but Andrew Day's performance is astonishing because that's her first act, acting performance. And purely on that, you're thinking, oh, you know, she, she really deserves to get... But there'll be more to come, I think. Uh, for my money, every member of the voting, uh, voting Academy should have a gun held to their head and told, and told vote Kerry Mulligan no. <laughs> or... Um, but I have, I just have this feeling that it'll be Frances McDormand because mm-hmm. she's now become the metal streep of the Oscars constantly nominated chances are she'll win so but Kerry Mulligan should win this yeah 
definitely. And yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Frances McDormand, she is kind of the favourite, isn't she? But we'll see. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I think uh, absolutely right. Sound like a broken record, but Kerry Mulligan, I think, should win. Uh, like Claire Vaughan said, there is a physicality to her performance as well, which I think is great. And the way she's shot in that film, um, you know, in those bar scenes is incredible. Um, so I think she deserves to win. But yeah, I think Frances McDormand uh, will, seems like a clear shoe in at this point. Brilliant. Let's move on quickly to cinematography now. Um, so bear with me with some of these names, okay, everybody? Pour your glass of wine now. <laughs> okay, um, we've got uh, Sean Bobbitt for Judas and the Black Messiah, um, Eric Messerschmidt for Mank, uh, Darius Woski for News of the World, uh, Joshua James Richards for Nomadland, or Feden Papamichael for The Trial of Chicago 7. Um, I really like News of the World, and I've got to say, I'm surprised it hasn't been nominated for more. I thought the scenery and the landscape and the cinematography is beautiful, so I would love that to win. Um, I think, oh, I think Judas could take it. What about you, Gary? Some of the drone shots in News of the World are astonishingly good. Um, I, I love the look of Mank. The, uh, yes, it's in black and white, but but if you're going to make a, a, a film in black and white, damn, it has to look good and it has to shine, and it does. So purely on that, I think I'd, I'd have to go with Mank for cinematography. Definitely. What about you, Claire B? Um, so I didn't see News of the World. It's the only one I didn't get to, um, but it's also entirely a type of film I knew I would hate. So I put it right <laughs> at the bottom of the list and I was like, if I don't get to one, that'll be the one. Yeah. Um, so of the four that I have seen, I think I would give it to Nomadland. I think Nomadland, considering the amount of location use, uh, like there's no set, and I think it captured a moment. And, you know, a lot of those scenes are in very tiny bands. I think the cinematography in that was wonderful. I do think based on the Academy history, Mank has not been a popular film, but Mank is technically a good film. I personally couldn't stand it, um, but I 100% see the Academy patting each other on the back, giving all of the technical awards to Mank, this being the top one of them. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Claire Vaughan? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I, I think, yeah, I think the achievement of Nomadland, and again, you know, it's, it will be released slightly before cinemas are open, but they're like, I want to see that on a huge screen. You know, I think audiences mm -hmm. like it's just the detail in those that's those massive landscapes. Um, and again, you know, like you say, it, it hasn't been created on set. It's been, you know, they had to work as they were, you know, in in situ. So I think that is a really fantastic achievement. Um, but I, I I agree with I agree with Claire. I think that I mean it is it is good. I mean that, that you know agreeing with Gary as well. Like you know it's. There's a there's a silvery beauty to Mank, um, and there's a there's a real depth of black and you know in the black and white. And I think, yeah, there's some of some of that is is really beautifully and really beautifully done. Again, when I saw this, actually, which played in the cinema, so Mank was in the cinema briefly when we were, <laughs> when we were open. Um, and and yeah, and I think it's it's uh, it's technically it is a fantastic achievement, and I think it's probably going to do that kind of that kind of work in the Oscars this year. So let's move on to directing now. <laughs> so we have um, Thomas Vinterberg for another round, David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. And for me, I'd love Emerald Fennell. Uh, what about you, Joe? Yeah, I think Emerald Fennell should win, but I think uh, Chloe <laughs> Zhao will, will win for um, Nomadland. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. Um, Claire Vaughan, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm really torn with this one. I think there's there's so many great 
things in there. And if you haven't seen another round, again, it's going to be released in cinemas. It's extraordinary. It's, it's a really, really wonderful film. Um, and I think bringing in bringing in together the different elements in in that film, I think was 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 a great achievement by by Vinterberg. I think it's it's wonderful. But my choice is, and I think it's going to be the the Academy's choice as well as Chloe Zhao for mm. Nomadland. I think. Um, the work that she does as a filmmaker, where she goes and she spends a lot of time with the subjects that she's she's uh, she's you know going to be working with. Um, so, like with Ryder, she you know she spent a, you know a couple of years with with you know with those people in that community, and she did the same thing with with Nomadland. And I think that you know that depth of knowledge really yeah. comes out in the film. And you know it's beautifully shot. She worked really closely with the cinematographer. She's had a really close knit team that she's been working with um, for years. And I think that really shows it through um, through the film. And I, I think it's, so I think that, she, that Chloe Zhao is going to get it for Nomadland. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think you're kind of right there. What about you, Gary? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Claire. Uh, um, Emerald Fennel has many years of great films ahead of us. So it doesn't matter that we don't get it this year. But I said, I watched Nomadland earlier this week and the first thing that jumped out to me is, holy cow, because Chloe Zhao wrote edited and directed to have that much uh, personal contact with a film means that you are so invested in what you're doing and it shows I, the only thing was i had to watch it on my computer screen i cannot wait to see that in the huge because uh, it, it shows the best and the worst in america brilliantly um and i i you know as far as film that makes because i love the states i've been so many times over there uh, and i've hated what's happened the last four years with that what's it in charge and it seems as if, <laughs> as if that racist what's it sorry i forgot to finish um but it seems as if the, the, the there seems to be a change things are getting back to normal and chloe Zhao shows what american can be at its best while also reminding you how it has been at its worst and on the basis of that i think she deserves this oscar i don't think i ever want to eat, eat to what's it again gary thanks exactly. for that that's right <laughs> Um, and Claire B, do we need to ask you on this one? <laughs> well, I mean, it's obviously Emerald Fennell is my one, but I will shout out Thomas Vinterberg for another round. I got to see another round at London Film Festival. What a film. Just, I cannot wait to be able to go and watch it again at the cinema. My mother, who has only watched one subtitled film in her life, which was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, that I forced her to watch for my birthday last year, I have gone on about another round so much. She has agreed to come to the cinema and watch it with me. So I am just, it's a film. So if Fennell didn't win it, I would want Vinterberg to win. We all know it's going to be closed out. And I don't think you can fault it. It's a wonderfully made film. It's a wonderfully directed film. There's no drama in her winning that. She equally deserves it, but I would obviously give it to Fennell. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, sorry, it's interesting. Another Round is the only film of all the, the ones that I haven't been able to see. But when I saw uh, the plot synopsis, uh, it was a bunch of teachers get drunk uh, yeah. to see if they can carry on. I said, oh, well, I've lived that. That was our secondary school. So yeah. I... <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't need to see the film now. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, what, what, when pubs open in Wales, that's the first thing I'll be doing. Another one, please, come on, keep going. Well, come on, Gary, let's do it up. together. Mads Mickelson as Best Actor, where, where, why he isn't in that category, it I don't know. He gives yeah. an extraordinary performance in another round. It's, it's really, really amazing. And so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit sore about that, I must admit. Me too. I tried to last night have a little go at, like, if I'd have been in charge of the Oscars, what would <laughs> I have done? Which and you might do, Wendy. <laughs> oh, oh, 
and um, two of my supporting actor places went to two of the other actors in another round I just thought the whole cast of that film worked amazingly like it, it's just a great film everything about it works it's so silly and so wonderful and so actually not silly it's really serious Oh, well, brilliant. Well, we could go on and on through all the nominations. Um, unfortunately, we haven't got enough time on this episode, but please let us know. Tweet us at DJ Film Show. Let us know what your favourites are across the nominations. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, this is the last segment on our Oscar special and it's time for a little Oscars quiz and we're going to pit our Oscar panel against each other to see who knows the most about the Oscars and uh, yeah, Claire B's taking a glass of champagne, that's great. <laughs> um, I know nothing. So obviously this is an Oscars quiz about... <laughs> Uh, this is an Oscar quiz, not just about this year, but all the past years as well. Um, and they are multiple choice, so don't worry, guys. Okay, you've all got a chance here. Um, so I, I'm going to read out a question. I'm going to give you four options for that question. Um, and then after I've read out the four options, whoever buzzes in first and answers correctly gets the points. Okay, so that's how we're going to do it. Try and think of a buzz that you can do. Okay, it can be any noise you like. And um, we'll probably go over it with something else. That's fine. Okay, here we go, everybody. Uh, is everyone ready to go? Brilliant. Okay, question one. What was the longest movie to win an Oscar for Best Picture? Is it A, Lawrence of Arabia? Oscar B, give the options. <laughs> I know. Give the options just in case. I'm yeah, fine. yeah. B, Gone with the Wind. C, War and Peace. Or D, Cleopatra. Ding, ding. Oh, Cleopatra. go on. No, incorrect. You're out of this one, Claire. Okay, Claire B and uh, Gary. I'm going with Gone with the Wind. Correct, Claire B. Well oh, done. A point for you. You can put a point like Carrie Mulligan does in Promising Young Woman, you know? I do have my little <laughs> notepad. And I still want to know what the black, the blue and the red mean. I've got my own theory, but one Very day good. they will have to tell us. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, question two now, everyone back in. Uh, what was the only animated film to be nominated for Best Picture before 2009? Was it A, Beauty and the Beast? B, Finding Nemo? C, Toy Story, or D, Anast Anastasia? Buzz. Buzz. Go oh, God. Oh, go on, Claire. B. Be Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Correct. Well done. Oh, for someone who says you were very good, are you doing quite well? <laughs> it's because she's doing the, uh, the another round. If We all should just get a little bit drunk. Yeah. And it'll be fine. <laughs> she, uh, no. she got IMDB up on an iPod. No, what I will say is um, I used to work for both the Disney Store and Disney World Florida, ah. and I actually graduated from the real Disney University that is housed on the grounds of Disney World Florida. Wow. I have no. a diploma from Disney University. No wow. one told us we had a ringer in tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I assume all other questions will be Disney-based. <laughs> yes. Are they all are. They Star Wars, Disney-owned, Marvel, <laughs> Disney-owned. Every, everything's Disney. Yeah, they own Fox now. That's it. They've got everything. Sorted. Here we go. Question three, everybody. Uh, what female actress has received the most nominations? Should be which, really? Which female actress was has received the most nominations? Is it A, Catherine Hepburn, uh, Bet, uh, B, Bette Davis, uh, C, Jane Fonda, or D, Meryl Streep? Ding, ding, ding. Oh, Clevy, why are you I so quick? I'll let Clevon go. I'll let Clevon yeah, go. Yeah, go on, go on, Clevon. Well, I was going to say Catherine Hepburn, but I might be wrong. I, I'm terrible at quizzes. Okay, incorrect. Uh, Claire B. Meryl Streep. Yeah, correct. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Here we go. Okay. Um, 
Question four, which male actor has received the most nominations? Is it A, Laurence Olivier, B, Spencer Tracy, C, Jack Nicholson, or D, Paul Newman? Buzz. Go on, Gary. Spencer Tracy. Incorrect. Damn. Ding. <laughs> Go on, Claire. Um, is it Jack Nicholson? Correct. Well done, Claire. She's in the game. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done. Um, and question five, final question now. Uh, who was the oldest performer to win the Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role? Was it A, Henry Fonda, B, Christopher Plummer, C, George Burns, or D, John Wayne? I'm going to ding, but I think you won it for supporting, not leading, but Christopher Plummer. Incorrect, Claire. Yeah. Gary? You won it for supporting. I, I think it's Henry Fonda for On, on Golden Pond. Yeah, it's correct, Gary. Well done. Brilliant, everybody. Claire B, congratulations. Well done. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have a diploma from Disney. so. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Well done, everybody. It's a, it's a taking part that counts, isn't it, really? And the no, it is. It's the winning. It is completely <laughs> the winning. As a sports fan, I can tell you that. What, what do I win? Um... <laughs> Oh, uh, you have an unlimited supply of cinema tickets. <laughs> when they do a reopen. <laughs> a chapter? Are you going to buy a chapter? That would be fine. If you want to just buy a loads of chapters. I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I do live in London, so that is a fair commute from London. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. It is worth it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, thank you all so much. We have come to the end of our Oscar special. It's been absolutely fabulous to have our lovely Oscar panel here. Uh, before we go, uh, would you all like to um, kind of promote yourself, uh, where people can find you on social media? Uh, and uh, Claire Vaughan, I'll start with you. Okay, well, um, Chapter, if you want to follow Chapter, it's at Chapter Tweets. Um, I do uh, sort of watch alongs and sort of talk about sort of films that are online at Reframe Film. Uh, and uh, and I'm on Pixie Glass, uh, but uh, I'm a bit sweary and, and a bit opinionated. You might not want to follow me there. <laughs> yeah, kids, don't follow that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I will, I love it. Um, what about you, Gary? Where can people find you? Uh, on Facebook, I'm there as Gary Slaymaker, uh, where I behave myself because my mother's one of my friends on Facebook. Uh, uh, we're also there, uh, my company's there as Slay Corp, uh, and there are clips of stuff that we've done online, whether it's YouTube stuff or, or stuff we've done for SROC. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at the Slay. That's the filth account because it's just packed with swearing and anti Tory sentiment. Uh, and <laughs> And, and every so often there's reviews and, and mentions of certain films. Like, um, even though I've said that um, uh, Promising Young Woman is my favourite film of this year, Bob Odenkirk in Nobody is running it a very, very close second. It's John Wick for pensioners. It is, <laughs> it is immense. Oh, looking brilliant. To that. I, yeah, looking forward to that. And what about you, Claire B? Where can people find you online? Uh, so on Twitter, it is Claire Ellen Hope, but Claire without an I. Um, and you can find the podcast at W Rated Pod, I think. Yeah, W Rated Pod <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. Amazing. Thank you all so much. You've been absolutely brilliant. We couldn't think of a better Oscar panel. At same time next year? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm up for it. Though I think they're earlier next year, so we might be a bit late. <laughs> yeah, very good. Fingers crossed there's no such thing as a COVID next year. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> brilliant thank you everybody so much and joe as always a pleasure uh, the pleasure is mine thank you for being so wonderful tonight i feel awful because i am very much under the weather and i was this close 
to pulling out. But Dan, you've been wonderful. And thank you very much to uh, everybody who's joined us. It's been, it's been really wonderful. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. Well, um, for all of you listening, enjoy the Oscars. They're taking place Sunday, the 25th of April, early Monday morning here in the UK. So enjoy them. And please make sure to tweet us with all of your Oscar favourites. Uh, we're at DJ Film Show on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And you can type in the Dan and Joe Film Show on Facebook to find us there. And you can catch all our old episodes on Mixcloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, so thank you very much. Stay safe, everybody. Uh, and goodbye. Bye bye. When we walked in here this morning, they were chanting that the whole world is watching. This is what revolution looks like, real revolution. Anyway, there's people. There's power. Trying to save my fucking life. The world does keep moving. It can be a damn cruel place. But for me, those moments of stillness in that place, will never appear. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. When I dedicated my life to people, I dedicated my life. In order to survive in there, pardon me, I had to die.